Amen. Welcome. Uh, it is good to be in God's house this morning. Good to be at First Baptist Friendswood. We are glad you're here. My name is Matt. I'm the Next Gen Minister. And you're thinking, hey, the other guy's taller. That's right. This is not the other guy. Uh, he is making sure uh, really the biggest little boy is tucked in uh, at college. Uh, well, uh, and so he's taking a little time to be with family, and so I get the exciting opportunity to open God's Word with you today. Uh, and so those joining us online, welcome uh, as well. If you were here last week, we started a new series, uh, Unpacking Our Vision, uh, so that we're all back on the same page as we start a new ministry year. Uh, and most of you should be able to recite it, especially if you're a leader, you should have it memorized by now, uh, that over the next five to seven years, Years, we feel like God's called us to prepare and send disciple-making missionaries, to strengthen families, love neighbors, and transform the community with the gospel. And last week, Pastor David unpacked what is a disciple-making missionary? What does it do? And uh, it was the what of the vision statement. And today, we're going to look at the who. And so you see three different groups lined up there. You've got family, you've got neighbors, you've got community. And since they didn't give me three hours today, we're just going to focus on one of those. Uh, and we're going to look at what does it look like if I follow Jesus and I say I love God, what does it look like to love my neighbor? How do I treat my neighbor, those that are around me, in my neighborhood, at the gym, in choir, in algebra class? What does it look like to love your neighbor? And when I say the word neighbor, neighbor, probably some emotions come up inside you, right? Some of you, you're like, I love my neighbors. They're great. Uh, I have one of those. I was uh, neck deep, literally, uh, in the sewer line of the house, uh, and it's like 11 o'clock at night, and we're trying to, to saw it and get it all put back together because someone else wanted a whole lot of money to do it. So I said, I got four kids. They know how to dig. Let's just dig and see. We found some buried treasure. It was great and a really big tree root, but we got it done, and, and then the Sawzall battery died, and it's 11 o'clock, and nobody has a charger. Uh, and so I I had a neighbor, I'm like, I'm sure he's got one of these. He's got DeWalt everything. And so sure enough, he did. Uh, and he let us borrow it. That's a good neighbor. Some of you have neighbors that like you tolerate, right? So you kind of have meh emotion come up. You're like, they have a dog that barks too much sometimes, but most of the time they're kind of fine. Uh, some of you have a different emotion raised up uh, and, and you wish you could move. That, that kind of emotion, that neighbor that's rude to your kids or they mow all but this much of that little side yard because they swear the surveyor came out and that's not my property. I'm not going to mow it. Um, and sadly, maybe some in here, they wish you would move. But hopefully, yeah, hopefully that's not you, especially after we look in God's word today uh, and see the wisdom he has for us. So wherever you're at on the spectrum of emotion towards your neighbors or how well you think you love neighbors today, you're in a good place because we're going to see what God says. We're, we're going to see how he can help us look and love like Jesus uh, in our neighborhoods and places uh, where we're dealing with other people that we like, I know I could do better. I know God wants to do more, but I just don't know how. And so there's passages, um, spoiler alert, throughout the whole Bible, actually, Old Testament, New Testament that says, hey, we should love our neighbor and you should love the stranger that's in your midst. And we do have one. Uh, where somebody is in the vicinity of Jesus, and he actually asks him that question. He gets to hear, like he's in the right place at the right time, asking the right guy 
the question that he has. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. You need your Bibles every week. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend a physical Bible. Then you're not distracted by your fantasy football team uh, that maybe your hope is in and maybe it's a it's a bad placed hope. It's, it's unfounded. And so Luke chapter 10, we're going to pick up in verse 25. And just to catch you up where we're at in the context, you start reading Luke 1 and you've got Christmas Jesus, right? Like baby Jesus is born, kind of found out where he comes from. He's, he's teenage Jesus and he's grown Jesus and he's starting his ministry. He's coming at you and he's healing diseases. He's casting out demons. Uh, somebody shows up with a Lunchable and he feeds 20,000 people. Like it's, it's going nuts nuts. Even before this, somebody's dead, and he's like, no. And he, and he raises them. And so Jesus's popularity is huge. Everybody's wanting to be around Jesus. They want to hear him. They have no idea what he's going to do. Because again, there's many that are not calling him Lord yet. They think he's a magician, or he's a healer, or he's the bread guy. Uh, and so there's a lot swirling around Jesus. And when that happens, your religious guys get upset. And so they're looking at ways to take him down because he's stealing their followers. And right before this passage, he sends out 72 disciples. And he's like, hey guys, I want you to go to the towns and I want you to tell them, hey, repent because the kingdom of God is not far off. It's not this, this way uh, away land or kingdom. Like it's here. Like the kingdom of God is at hand. And this is good news. And he brings them back and he's debriefing them on, hey guys, how'd it go? And you can read some of that if you read above. But while he's debriefing, a lawyer, a scribe, an expert of the law stands up and asks Jesus a question. So let's pick up in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a strange question, by the way. And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So this lawyer guy, this scribe stands up. He's an expert in the law, which means he would know the Old Testament really, really well. And if you have an Orthodox Jew friend, uh, it would be like this guy. And they boil the law, the Old Testament, down to 613 rules and commandments. And they think, if I follow these perfectly, I'm in with God. And, and if I don't, then I'm not. And I got to make up for it somehow. And so this guy would have been looked highly upon. He was a scribe. He was respected. On the outside, it looked like everything was going well. But on the inside... It looks like there's something wrong because he goes to Jesus. The, the guy who should have it all together and knows the law and is supposed to lead the people goes to Jesus and says, how do I, how do I get eternal life? What do I got to do? And so it looks like this guy doesn't have peace. He's got all the rules. He's got all the knowledge, but he doesn't have peace. And I know that would never happen today. Like nobody in Friendswood or, or East Pearland would look like they have it all together and then don't. Uh, and especially not in League City. Am I right? Am I right, League City? Uh, right, so this guy, uh, he doesn't have it all together. And, and some try to paint him as maybe he's putting Jesus to the test in a negative way, but he calls him teacher. And maybe this guy really wants to know. Maybe he's done the religious thing. He's gone on the religious treadmill. Maybe he grew up uh, in little Jewish school and he had a sash, maybe and got a star for every time he brought the Torah uh, to synagogue. And, and, and he was really good at following the rules, but he doesn't have 
peace. And so it's strange that he's asking Jesus this question. And what is Jesus' response to him? Like Jesus turns him back to the law. He says, how do you read it? He turns him back to the very thing that Jesus keeps getting accused of breaking. And he says, how do you read it? And the literal translation would be, how do you recite it? Because he knew as a young Jewish boy, this scribe would have grown up reciting a passage of scripture twice every day. And, and Hebrews call it the Shema, because Shema is the Hebrew word for hear, and that's how it starts. So every day, as a boy growing up in his house, he would recite Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. He would say, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then he adds a little Leviticus in there, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so he responds with a very weighty text, if you think about it, right? Like that's supreme love. If you're going to love God with everything, the best that you are, and supreme surrender, you're going to love him and you love your neighbors. When Jesus has asked this in Mark 12, somebody says, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Because they want to know the best. I'm not good at 612 of them. Just give me one, right? Uh, And Jesus quotes this. He quotes Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And he says, all the law and the prophets Everything in the Old Testament, hang on those two. If you could do those, you're good. And so he recites it and Jesus says, you're right, go do that. Which you should be careful what you ask for, right? So if you, if you pray for patience, get ready. Like God is, he's a giver of all good gifts. Uh, and he's probably going to put you in a spot where you're going to learn some patience or you're going to grow. Uh, But he asked Jesus, well, how do I earn eternal life? What do I got to do? And he assumes you can do something to earn eternal life. And so Jesus gives him the answer. Well, just love God and people perfectly. Go do that and you'll live. And so we're thinking what, what he should be thinking, right? His response should be, oh, snap, like I'm not good. I don't love God really well because I heard you say you heard it said this, but really it's this and my motivations are bad. Or, yeah, I I love my neighbor, but I, I make my neighbor just like the people 10 feet around me at home. Like I make it so narrow. Like, but let's see what his response is. Let's look at verse uh, 29. But he said, desiring to justify himself, He said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So again, not the response we're hoping for, right? Not, okay, you got me. Uh, I need to repent. And Jesus, he's going to love him. He's already uh, played the teacher role that he wanted him to play. But his question is, who is my neighbor? Which reveals he still thinks he can earn salvation. He can earn salvation the kingdom. And so he's like, I'm going to attempt to make it a little easier. Uh, Tell me who my neighbor is so I can focus on who I'm supposed to love. And really it's, okay, who can I avoid (laughs) and not love and I'm still good to go? And oh, by the way, he's assuming he loves God perfectly too. Maybe there's a bit of pride here Uh, because it's easy. It's very easy to have an inflated opinion of ourselves and our own ability. It's easy, isn't it, to convince ourselves that we're good. I got this covered, uh, especially for my rule followers in the room. Don't raise your hand. I know you want to. Uh, We do, right? That was me growing up. Like I was good at following the rules. I had a sister who was not. And so it made the house kind of crazy, right? Sometimes. uh, And I I would get in modes where it was really easy to judge other people, right? And go, well, 
I can't do the perfection thing, but I'm better than her, better than him. Uh, and so the problem with the rule followers in the room is when you're doing great, everything's great, right? Like God loves you. God loves me. Everything is good. I'm trying to love others. But when you're doing bad and you blow it, you're like, I don't even know if I'm saved. <laughs> and your faith is like a roller coaster. And that's not the faith. That's not the hope that Jessica read in Romans 5. Uh, and for the rest of us in the room, isn't I'm awesome the air we breathe? Isn't that everything the world tells you? Like how many times do you hear from the world, you need to love yourself, you need self-love, and you need high self-esteem. And when you read the Bible, it says self-denial, right? If you want joy, it's, it's not about high self-esteem, it's self-denial. And then, and then it talks about, hey, the world says, what can you achieve and what can you do? And the Bible screams, here's what God has done already for you that you couldn't do. And so his question uh, begs the, the reader to go, okay, what's Jesus going to do next? Is, is Jesus going to blow him up in front of all his cool religious friends and his religious buddies that he golfs with or he plays cornhole with uh, on the weekends? Um, is he going to point out something specific? Because remember, Jesus is God. He knows everything. Is he going to bring up what he did last night and he, and he was really rude to his wife and he's going to show uh, or what he did to his neighbor? Let, let's see what he does. Um, look at verse 30. And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is a strange answer, by the way. Uh, he just starts into a story. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So Jesus is answering the guy and he just starts telling the story. And what this is, is a teaching tool that Jesus used all the time. It's called a parable. He would, he would tell a story uh, and underlying it and to elevate a truth, a God truth that maybe they wouldn't understand another way. And so he says, hey, there's this guy and he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So I've been there actually. Uh, and it's a pretty crazy scene. It's, it's, you would think, oh, we're just going from town to town, but from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's 3,500 feet in elevation difference. You're going down. It's a little bit rocky. There's jagged edges. Uh, but also in that day, they knew there were like little caves and little crevices where unsavory people could just hide out and they would just jump upon you and then take all your stuff. Think like Tusken Raiders from Star Wars. They're just waiting for you to come and you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And they beat this guy. They take his clothes, which that's rude. Uh, <laughs> take my stuff, but don't, don't take my clothes, right? And they beat him and they leave him half dead, which is a little better than three quarters dead, I would imagine. Uh, and he's there and he's in a desperate situation and, and Jesus sets it up and he gives him a ray of hope. Look at, look at the ray of hope. Look at verse 31. So they're listening. Jesus is like, hey, there's this guy, he's desperate. What's going to happen next? And he says, now by chance, a priest was coming down that road and the crowd goes wild. They're like, this is, this is a great story. Jesus, we love the priest. We love the priest. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. No anticlimactic, right? So Jesus says, hey, this priest just happened to come down this road. And they're excited because they knew the priest was a good guy. He's the hero, right? He knows the Old Testament. He would know God's command that you love your neighbor and the alien and the stranger that's in your borders. He knows the Old Testament of how to love God and love people. He made the sacrifices for the people. He was the mediator, the go-between between God and man. And he was a model of moral uh, effort and, and just he looks like God for the people. Surely this guy will help. 
And for whatever reasons, people theorize on why he couldn't do it. And the reality is, it doesn't matter because it's just a story. Jesus is pointing out, hey, here's a guy you think would help, but doesn't. But don't worry. Don't fear. Even though that was the best news and it got ruined, here's some good news. Look who else comes by. Look at verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, yay, um, went and came to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side. Strike two. Kind of like the ninth inning last night with the Astros. I was, my hope, my hope was not well placed there either last night. Uh, and so a Levite comes down the road and the religious guys are thinking, this is great. Maybe not the priest. Maybe he was busy, didn't want to become unclean. Surely the Levite's going to help him because the Levites, while they weren't priests, they were helpers of the priest. So they would help with the sacrifices. They would help the people draw near to God. And they too would know the Old Testament. They knew Hey, we're supposed to love everybody, especially somebody in a desperate, hurting situation. And he doesn't do it. He, he sees the guy and passes by on the other side. This is a strange story Jesus is telling. They're like, priest, Levite, who are the other good guys? Oh, maybe it'll be a Pharisee or maybe a scribe. Let's see. Uh, so let's see what Jesus does. Look at verse 33. This is shocking to them, by the way. He says, but a Samaritan... And the crowd gets uncomfortable. Uh, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Keep reading. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. They're thinking, Jesus, you're the worst storyteller ever. <laughs> like, this would never happen, <laughs> right? Like, he says, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, you, the start of a good joke, right? Uh, and, and the Samaritan comes down, and they're probably thinking, well, this is bad. He's probably going to finish the guy off and steal his watch. They forgot it kind of thing. But Jesus twisted on him. This guy actually has compassion. And, and to kind of get the understanding of, of the, the scenario, you got to know, Jews didn't like Samaritans. They didn't. You had a lot of hostility, and it, it dates back hundreds of years. You had the Assyrian Empire. When they conquered Israel, they took most of Israel out and spread them out uh, through the nations, and they would bring people from other countries into Israel. And so you had intermingling, and so they would check the other box when it got to race. So, so Israel had a race issue with them. They were like, oh, we don't like these guys. And then there was some idol worship going on, but, but they were trying to worship the true God. And when, if you know your Bible history, when Israel came back to rebuild the temple under Ezra and Nehemiah, the Samaritans said, hey guys, we worship the same God, we want to help. And they said, no, can't help us, this is our God. And so they're like, fine, we'll build our own temple on Mount Gerizim. And then the Jews later got mad and tore that one down. And so they're just, they're fighting. They're always fighting about whose water well this is, whose sheep these are. And by the time Jesus tells his story, there's been hundreds of years of back and forth. I hate you. I hate you. And they had special nicknames degrading one another. And the reality was God's mission of redemption has always transcended race and culture. Like, this is not a new thing. This is not something that pastors in 2020 and 2021 go, wait a minute, hey, God loves everybody. We should love everybody. It's been from the beginning. Everybody's made in his image. They value because God made you and me, no matter what skin you have, no matter where you came from, his, his redemptive story transcends race, culture, language. And so Jesus, again, is always pushing the envelope 
when he's talking especially to religious guys. Uh, and so the Samaritan comes down. What does he do? He has compassion on him. He goes to him. He doesn't step by on the other side. He goes to him and he pours some of his own provision, some, some wine and some oil on his wounds. And then he bandages him up. And most likely he didn't have like a Band-Aid kit or Johnson & Johnson little kit from Walmart. He probably had to rip some of his clothes to bandage this guy up. And if that were not enough, you look at that and go, okay, he was a neighbor. He said, no, he picks him, puts him on his animal, probably his donkey, takes him to an inn and stays the night to make sure he's okay. And you're like, well, that, that's good. Surely that's love. No, he gets up the next morning, takes from his wallet, pays the innkeeper and says, hey, take care of this guy. Uh, and if, if you need any more, when I come back, I'll repay you. And two denarii, depending on the end, that could have been two weeks, that could have been three months worth of this. This is a lavish grace on this guy that most likely was considered his enemy. Like you saw the Samaritan basically write a blank check and give it to the end and say, hey, take care of this guy. That is wild. That is wild. The New Testament calls that going the extra mile. In the student ministry, we call it doing one more thing. But this kind of limitless love is what it takes to earn your way into the kingdom of God. Don't miss that. Jesus is poking really hard at the scribe's assumption. And the scribe is realizing, I hope anyway, that he doesn't love like that. If he were honest, he doesn't love people like that. And if we're honest, we don't either, do we? Like that's high love. That's a high bar. And so don't miss it. I'm not going to give away the ending yet, but don't miss that God calls us to love our neighbors like this. He does. He, he said it. Jesus didn't try to lighten the load or say, hey, if you do just a little bit of this, you're, you're in. No, he said, said hi, you love God perfectly, love neighbor perfectly. If you want to earn the kingdom, this is what it should look like. So before you get discouraged, let's keep reading. Look at verse 36 and 37. Jesus says, after he tells this story, he said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So Jesus asked him, I've, I've laid it out. You got a priest, uh, a Levite and a Samaritan. You saw what they did. Who was the neighbor to the guy? And if you notice, the scribe couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He didn't even want to say it. He just said the, the, one, who, the one who had mercy on him. And what does Jesus say? Again, does he lighten the load of perfection? No, he says, you go do that and you'll live. And we don't know. We don't know what happened to the scribe uh, after this. We don't know if he repented. It doesn't look like it here. But the scribe, like many of us, like when you reject the diagnosis, you reject the cure. So since he rejected that he needed anything, that he had any sin, anything wrong, he doesn't realize he needs Jesus. Oh, and by the way, he's asking about eternal life to the guy who is eternal life. And he, and he misses it. Because uh, when you reject the diagnosis, you reject and deny the cure. And so the scribes and others around him should have realized that I can't possibly love God and neighbors like this. Because where were they looking? They were looking to the law. And the law was never given to save. When you read Paul in Galatians, he said, no one's going to be saved by the law. You can't do it. Uh, I got a picture to put on the screen uh, I want to show you to look at. Uh, I think this guy or girl is having a bad day. 
they're, they're having a bad day. They, they went down the slide. Maybe they did a power snatch and they got a little too, a little too aggressive uh, uh, overhead. But they've got a, a broken arm and you can clearly see it. But this is what we call an x-ray, right? And an x-ray is a diagnostic tool. It does a great job at pointing out you're broken, Right? It does a great job pointing out you're broken. What it fails to do and what it would do a terrible job of is fixing your broken arm, right? Like doctors don't show you the x-ray and then make a copy for you, go pay your copay, we'll see you in a few weeks. No, it, the law does a great job at pointing to us and saying we're not good enough. We're not, we need something more. It does a terrible job at saving us. That's why you can try to do religious things and sign up for all the Bible studies and do even an international mission trip, right? Uh, and you can do all that and realize that none of that makes you right with God. Those are good things and spiritual disciplines help you grow in your faith. They stink at making you right with God. They stink at justifying you. You need something more. You need Jesus. So don't miss... Uh, how this conversation started. It's tempting to look at this and think about, okay, describe Acts Jesus about neighbors, and this is what we're supposed to do uh, with our neighbors. But think about it. What was the first question? He didn't ask him about neighbors. He said, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And the reality is, you can't be good enough. But take heart, God is. Like, don't, don't let that sit with you in the wrong way. Like you can't love him perfectly. Yes. You can't love God and love your neighbor perfectly. That's true. But that should lead you to the cross and not despair. That should lead you to the gospel and not anxiety and depression. Because for the believer, we look at our sinful state and our brokenness and we smile because we know that I know I'm not good enough, but Jesus was. And so I'm going to get some of that. And that's the gospel, right? Like you agree with God about your sin, you turn, you repent, and you trust him. And, and then when God looks down, he sees Jesus' life instead of yours. You get that exchange. That's the gospel. And so the first part, like the main thrust of this passage is that, like you can't do it, but God can, and he already did. But the second part is, is just as important. Don't miss the connection Jesus made between loving God and loving your neighbors. Because it looks like you can't separate loving God and loving your neighbor. Like I've heard it said before that your relationship with God is like this. It's this vertical thing. And then your relationship with others and your neighbor is like this horizontal thing. And just make sure you're doing good. And maybe you graph that on a 3D calculator or something and make sure you're, you're good. But it, when you read the scriptures, it kind of looks like here's loving God and then here's loving people. Like they're connected. When you read 1 John, he says it like this. If you claim to love God and hate your brother, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Like you can't separate them according to Jesus. So my question to you is, how are you doing with that? How are you, how are you loving God? Do you love him with everything? And again, take heart. You can't make yourself love God. I've said it a bunch of times to our students. Like you can make yourself do social studies homework, right? But you can't make yourself love social studies homework. You can't. And so if you don't love God, the good news is he's really good at doing that. Like he'll remind you of what he's already done. And that stirs in our hearts worship. If we're honest and look at how broken we are and that in our sin, he loved us and made a way to have peace. 
And so, how are you loving God, but how are you loving your neighbors? Do you love them well? Do you even know your neighbors? Do you, like this scribe, try to narrow the word neighbor to mean only the houses right beside you <laughs> and not the back because they're crazy and there's a fence, so it doesn't count, right? Um, just, and I'm on a corner, so I only have one, right? No, like, like, what are we doing with that? And I remember when we started this vision series and Pastor David started encouraging us, hey, you need to love your neighbors, so start with a prayer walk. And I realized Shane and I have been living there over seven years uh, and we didn't know our neighbors well. Like we did, and we stunk at this. And so part of me was like, okay, if I go try to love them now, what's that going to say? Like, I've been a really bad neighbor for seven years. I haven't really cared about you. Uh, and, and now I'm trying to. But the reality was, that's what I did. I could blame it on the pastor. I said, hey, our pastor's challenging us to love our neighbors well, so we're going to try to do that. And so we started building relationships. And a single mom moved in down the street, and we got to be a part of their life. Uh, when even there was a loss of life in the family, Shannon got to pray with her out on the porch. Um, and now that we moved, like sure enough, we get, we get going intentional and God says, all right, you're going to move. So we started in a new neighborhood in June, but we went in guns a blazing, right? We're like, all right, where's, where's our neighbors? I already know we got a widow right across from us. Uh, we've got a family with four little girls. Two of them are Finley's age. Uh, and, and we're like, we're going to get to know these because we want to love them well. And then our back neighbor, we met them sort of real quick, but not really because it was just really loud, especially at like one in the morning or two in the morning. We're like, hey, I like to party too, so I need to know so they can invite us. It'd be great. And it's been like two months and we hadn't met them. So last weekend, uh, I do what everybody does. And I went and bought a cake from HEB. Uh, and I was told by one of my family, like, that's cheesy. They're not going to like that. I said, everybody likes cake. Everybody likes cake. So I bought a little chocolate cake and me, me and Shannon went over there and sure enough, they loved it. Uh, and we're sitting there talking and yeah, it's a new cake ministry. Maybe H-E-B is going to run out of cakes this week. Uh, it's that little chocolate one. It's a $15 investment, people, into your neighbor. And it's got little swirlies on the top. Uh, but we got, we got to meet them and we, we probably talked there for, for 10 minutes. Uh, and I didn't tell them what I do because I don't want them to know yet. I want them to just think, hey, these guys are loving. Hey, these guys care about us. And, and care about my kids, care about uh, the community. But the reality is, you can do it. Like, hey, just knock. I mean, like, hey, I'm, I'm your neighbor, uh, and I want to love our neighborhood well. Here's some cake. You know, whatever, whatever it is you got to do, take some popcorn, whatever you got. Uh, and so that's where Jesus is going with this guy. And so we're going to have a song, and we call it our response song. And the reason we call it that is because it's a time to respond. And so whether you're where you're at or you want to come and pray up here or pray with somebody, it's a chance to go, okay, here's God's truth we've heard today, and here's my life, and I need to line this up with this and not the other way around. And so some of you need to pray, and you need to give God your life because you don't love Him with everything. You don't even really love Him a little bit. Somebody made you come here. Maybe they're buying you lunch, and that's how they got you here, and that's okay. God, God can deal with bad motives. He, he can save anybody right? And so maybe you never made that decision. Maybe as a little kid, you got scared of hell. Okay. Uh, maybe that's where it started, but there, heaven's for people who love Jesus, not who are scared of hell. And so maybe you've never made that choice of, hey, I need, I need to transform heart. I know God, I'm broken. I need to turn from my sins. I need to follow you. And for some of you, you need to pray, hey, God, help me love my neighbors well. I don't even like them. Uh, so I need you to change my heart. It's going to take a work of the Lord. And then ask yourself this. What is one thing? Don't get overwhelmed. Don't go do 20 things. What is one thing you can do 
to love God better, love your neighbor better. And do that. That person sitting next to you in algebra class, that, that lady that works out with you at the gym, they're in that cubicle next to you. They're actually in your neighborhood. What's one thing you can do to love them well? Let's pray.